Long story short, after a number of visits, Jimmy donated his downtown condominium. It was worth uh, $300,000. Welcome back to One Visit Away with your host, Kevin Fitzpatrick. This show focuses on true stories of philanthropy in order to understand what it takes to succeed in major gift fundraising. Listen to these stories and you'll realize you're just one visit away from a transformational experience for your benefactors and your organization. Today's guest is Bill Myatt. Bill is the Director of Philanthropic Engagement at the Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago. He has worked as Director of Development at Loyola University Chicago and a national nonprofit called Catholic Extension. He received his Ph.D. in Constructive Theology from Loyola in 2012. In his major gift work, Bill has regularly been a leader among his peers and has even set a few fundraising records. You can learn more about a new major gift consulting gig he is starting at majorgiftsolutions.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy this great conversation with Bill Myatt. Also need to give a shout-out and thank Don't Call Me Sam for the most recent review on One Visit Away, as well as Peaches271. Thank you both so much for your great reviews. We uh, now have, we're getting close to 50 ratings and reviews, all five stars on One Visit Away. If you could please leave a rating and review, it helps a lot in getting the show out to more people. Thanks so much, and I hope you enjoy this great conversation with Bill Myatt. Well, welcome to One Visit Away, Bill. Thanks for being here. My pleasure, Kevin. Yeah, so everybody, this is Bill Myatt. I got in touch with him after our episode with Scott Maxwell with Catholic Extension. Uh, Scott and Bill used to work together at Catholic Extension. And one of the reasons I reached out to Bill was because he has the most epic, uh, what is it? The Not your... Not your yeah, his, his like background, his portrait, I guess, is him uh, seemingly six feet off the ground with the Chicago skyline in the background. And uh, it's awesome. So go check out William Myatt on LinkedIn. And with that introduction, tell everybody who you are and what you do. Hey, Kevin. And hey, everybody. Uh, really a pleasure to be here. Uh, that picture was taken by my daughter on a super cheap cell phone a few years ago. I won't <laughs> tell you how many years ago. You'll notice that I've actually got a head full of hair in that photo. Uh, on, on the profile photo, you'll notice that my hair is, uh, is a lot less nowadays. But um, anyway, yeah, thanks. Um, so, yeah, Bill Myatt, uh, I work full-time at the Lutheran um, uh, School of Theology uh, at Chicago. Um, I am the director of philanthropic engagement there, which means I oversee our team of uh, major gift officers. Um, prior to that, I worked at Catholic Extension, worked at Loyola University Chicago for a few years. I have a PhD in theology, um, of all things, through Loyola Chicago. Um, and on the side, I have recently started a major gift consulting um, uh, LLC that uh, aims to help nonprofit leaders land and locate major gifts. Very happy to be here. Awesome. Well, thanks, Bill. So let's uh, let's get into it. And if you could just start us off with one of your favorite visits from your career. Right. Yeah. So I mean, I was thinking about our call here and um, went back to a handful of um, uh, criteria that I use um, to get visits 
Um, mm-hmm. the, the process of landing a major gift is in some ways um, there's an art to it, but also there's, there's just a kind of science to it as well. And, and if you're appropriately technical in finding the right donors, you'll have more successful visits. So um, real briefly, um, I'll, I'll just mention a couple ways that I, I, I first of all, land with the right people. And then I'm looking forward to sharing some stories about, yeah. uh, you know, kind of being in people's living rooms and that type of thing. But I look for recent cash giving. Um, I look for uh, special gifts like stocks or, or gifts from donor advised funds. Uh, you can look for planned gift donors. Um, you can look at um, uh, history of giving like total giving or uh, a largest gift. Um, you can look for things like donors who were previously assigned to a gift officer uh, who were in portfolios of others who maybe you know worked at your organization before you. And then um, you can look at wealth information, uh, which you get usually through a third party. But you look at things like real estate value, philanthropic capacity, uh, maybe political donations, things like that. And what I found is that if you use these types of criteria, just analyzing your own donor database, then um, you'll notice that there are donors connected to your organization who are already really good major gift prospects. You know, sometimes you sit down with a a group of volunteers in a board meeting or something like that, and uh, you start brainstorming about major gifts and people are like, well, let's, we need to call Bill Gates, you know, (laughs) touch with Oprah Oprah Winfrey. And um, this is just not really necessary in my experience. And, and as you just systematically, apply criteria like this to let's say the donors in your region, if you're a major gift officer, and then you kind of slowly and systematically work through the list of donors that come up by your use of these criteria, you're going to have some really fun visits with the right people. So um, I guess uh, one person I could talk about right off the bat um, that was uh, a kind of success story from following this strategy. Uh, it was a, a lovely retired professor who, who taught anatomy and physiology at Ball State, um, lived in Kalamazoo, Michigan, when I reached out to her, named Diana. So, uh, you know, I was working at Catholic Extension. This was a few years ago. And um, I was the Midwest guy. So I had Michigan, Ohio, uh, Indiana, Illinois, Wisconsin, you know, places like that. And what I would do is take a kind of uh, segment at a time, like a region at a time. And again, apply these criteria, uh, whittle down the list to say the top, maybe 50 donors in that area. I called it my roster of prospects. And then I would send out to all of those people a letter. Um, I, I call this a pre-approach letter. It's a title I learned from a, a seasoned gift officer at Loyola uh, years ago, but I send them a pre-approach letter and it just says, Hey, I'm Bill. Thanks so much for being a supporter of uh, that was Catholic extension at that time. And uh, I'm going to be coming through your area. Um, Love to say hello. If you're interested in getting together and kind of talking about our organization. So I did that. And uh, a couple weeks later, after I sent out my letters, I was calling through the list and I came across Diana again in Kalamazoo. She had given, you know, about a thousand dollars a year uh, for a few years. So she was in our, um, one giving society that we had at Catholic extension. And I said to her and asked if she wanted to get together. She said, yes. 
you know, I think it was about a couple of weeks later, a month later, something like that. Uh, I drove over to, over to Kalamazoo. I had a few visits in the area. Sat in Diana's uh, kitchen on the, at the dining room table, and uh, she made me tea and, and some sweet bread. And uh, we had a, a basically like a full morning. I think the visit started at 10 o'clock um, Kalamazoo time. And uh, we had a full morning uh, talking about church, her children, her grandchildren. We talked about the flower bed in her backyard. We talked about uh, her recent move to Kalamazoo and the fact that she had boxes on her basement. And, you know, it's just that, you know, you're just kind of hanging out and, and she's retired again. And so you're just being present as the, the representative of your organization. And, um, and what happened then as we continue to talk and just sort of, um, you know, maybe build a little bit of trust, whatever trust you can build in like one meeting. Um, she began to tell me about the money that she and her husband had saved over a number of years. Uh, she was retired as an anatomy and physiology professor, and her husband also was a professor in uh, medicine. Um, but he had developed this consultancy later in his career and had actually been an expert witness on a couple of um, uh, cases that were civil lawsuits re- regarding asbestos and clean air. And so, yeah. you know, if, if that's your position, you can, you can do pretty well financially. So anyway, she just began to kind of talk to me about the fact that she had a lot of money in her IRA and, and she wanted to give it away. So, yeah. you know, that, that of course um, uh, kind of piqued my interest. And um, I, I concluded that meeting as, as I always do with, with a kind of next step and, Typically, I will even make a soft ask. I'll, I'll tell people something like, you know, we're in the middle of this initiative to try to reach 100 donors who can give whatever it is, or, or in this case, it was Father Jack is looking for some donors to do X, Y, Z. But with her, um, I actually said this. I said, we're working on a proposal template. We've got a draft of a proposal that we're sending to donors to ask them to make a pledge to Catholic Extension. And I said to Diana, would you mind taking a look at this draft and letting me know your thoughts on it? And of course, in the back of my mind, I wanted to keep her engaged, you know, just as a donor. But the long term was to go ahead and ask her for a major gift. So she said yes. And I told her I'd put something in the mail to her and maybe we could schedule a follow up visit in a couple of months. So I left, uh, came back to Chicago. And then funny side note, um, got back to Chicago, returned the rental car and and started walking back to the office. And I was cold. This was like January. And I thought to myself, where's my coat? (laughs) Left my coat uh, in Diana's closet, (laughs) three hours away from Chicago. So that the old leave behind tactic. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I mean, that kind of became like this running joke. I mean, I got back, I, I quickly sent her an email. Thanks so much, Diana. I look forward to staying in touch. And, uh, and then I said, I think I left my coat in your closet. And she said, you sure did. And anyway, it was this running joke, like say hello to my coat, you know, (laughs) probably three months. Um, it was a cold three months for me. Um, but anyway, um, you know, I sent her that proposal, went back to her house and after, um, well, a couple visits, long story short, she ended up making a pledge of a hundred thousand dollars. Uh, to Catholic extension, um, wow. five-year pledge. Um, so, you know, it's uh, $20,000 a year, but, but we were able to record it as fundraising progress 
uh, six-figure gift. Now, what yeah. I'll say briefly is that when I went back to um, her house, and we talked through the proposal draft that, of course, you know, I, I wrote it to her. I put her name on it. There were pictures on there that I thought would connect with her, like with students that we supported and things like that. And uh, the, the part of the proposal where I actually made an ask for a dollar amount, I think I started with 25 and then I, I said you could also do a $50,000 gift and then a $100,000 gift. And with each of those um, like sections of the proposal, uh, you know, I said, if you give this much, then this is what you could accomplish. Like you could support yeah. this many educators, this many students, et cetera. And got to the $100,000 portion. We were sitting again in her kitchen and talking through it. She literally just laughed. She was like, there's no way I could do that. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, okay, you know, fine. But what I did was to continue to stay in touch with her. So I think I'd left that meeting um, without a pledge, uh, came back to Chicago, again, stayed in touch, um, you know, made a few more jokes about the coat, that type of thing. <laughs> Um, but over the course of, it, it might've been about six months, I went back to see her at least a couple times and the trust that she had in me just continually began to grow. Um, she told me more and more about her financial situation. Uh, she introduced me to her financial advisor. Wow. Um, she encouraged the two of us to meet. So, I was on another trip to, I think he lived down in Indiana somewhere uh, where she had previously lived. So I was down in Indiana making some donor visits and I took that guy out to lunch and we talked about Diana. Um, yeah. And, uh, and anyway, um, again, long story short, she ended up choosing a program and, and, and pledging a um, hundred thousand um, dollars. I think it, 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 correction, it was actually an unrestricted gift, which is, you know, the one mm. you want. So, Anyway, um, you know, to me, that's an example of, again, you're following this process, trying to find the best donors. And for me, those are the people who can give you the, the biggest gifts the most quickly. So I followed that process. Um, I found Diana. She just kind of bubbled to the surface through my, yeah. my strategy of the, the pre-approach letters and the making the phone calls and scheduling the visits. And then after the course of, again, you know, the whole time period was maybe 12 months, you know, she ended up signing that pledge. So, um, yeah. really a kind of major gift success story. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That, that I, yeah, that's a great story. And there's so many different pieces that go into that. One thing I'll comment on, uh, when you said how she and her husband were both professors, mm. uh, a very interesting for everyone out there. This is an interesting piece of information. I, I've mentioned this book a couple times before, but everyday millionaires, was written by Dave Ramsey's team. It's kind of an update on the book, The Millionaire Next Door. <clears throat> and the, and they did this research within the past three years. And then it was the largest study of millionaires in North America, over 10,000 millionaires surveyed. And one of the things, you know, one of the pieces of information they collect is what was your career? And in the top five, uh, mm. so they showed the top five careers of millionaires. Mm. One career that was not on the list which most people would find shocking is doctor mm. one career i think it was the number three position on the list was teacher wow. the number in the top five careers of millionaires in the u.s is teacher and i think a big part of it is uh 
if you're a career teacher, um, you just kind of know what your income is going to be for <laughs> your whole life. It kind of stays. There's not these huge swings, which a lot of times, you know, people in sales or other industries where there's a lot of turnover, like you just kind of know, like this is going to be my income. Uh, and you just make plans and slow and steady, make those investments into your IRA like she did uh, or your 401k. And then you wind up with a couple million bucks at retirement and and yeah. you're used to not living on a lot. And then you can do things like give $100,000 to to Catholic extension. So don't don't think that just because, you know, someone's career was X or Y means that they can or can't give at a certain level. Totally. Great point. And, you know, another small observation is it never hurts to try. Yeah. There were those indicators that I mentioned earlier that allowed Diana to make the cut, if you will, to my roster of prospects. But she lived in a very unassuming house, you know, sort of like close to downtown Kalamazoo, where it's, it's not a hotbed of wealth. You don't yeah. see a map and think I need to go there and and find some wealthy individuals who can support my mission. Um, you know, she she had children, uh, grandchildren, just a very unassuming person. But again, just like you said, because of her uh, diligence, which also connected her to this mission of this particular organization. You know, it's a Catholic organization. We had a lot of people who would get maybe a few hundred dollars a year. Um, include Catholic extension in their estate plans and end up a million dollars or more, you know, yeah, it's the, it's the same sort of things that we all see. But again, you just, you don't know um, unless you get in front of the person, if you can in normal times and unless you ask. And so, uh, and, and like with, with Diana, she laughed at me the first time, (laughs) $100,000. Uh, on the page in my proposal to her, but with that steady relationship building and the the building of trust with her, um, I was able to, uh, to, to partner with her. And it was really fun too, because I introduced her to some students who were working at um, uh, actually there was a a student, a student who had gone through Notre Dame university um, in a program that we supported um, who was uh, working at the local Catholic school in Kalamazoo and uh, I got them together for lunch it was after Diana signed the pledge. And um, and that was just a really fun connection for her. The, the, the student knew Diana's grandchildren. And they talked about local Catholic stuff and church and this and that. So, you know, the, the, the rewarding piece of all of that is that you do indeed get to see people support something they really believe in. And it gives them joy. Yeah. And here Diana was, she's not going to be really, I don't think traveling the world. Um, but she's got this money that she wants to put to a good purpose. And, um, and it was just fun to be able to partner with her in that way. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a great story. <laughs> what, uh, what else you got for us, Bill? <laughs> <All right. laughs> Keep them coming. <laughs> Thanks Kevin. Uh, all right. Well then I guess, uh, I'll talk about a guy named Jimmy. Uh, so that, that last donor was at Catholic extension before that, um, worked at Loyola university, Chicago. I came out of Loyola as a grad student. I actually taught uh, part-time and full-time for a few years in there. And then they hired me to, uh, help raise money for a few programs. 
one of which was the Institute of Pastoral Studies, um, which is kind of a small program, but it helped that I had this like theological church background and could connect with donors in that way. So um, IPS, as it was called, had an annual gala um, that they had been doing before I got there. And um, it was sort of a reunion type of thing. People would come and see each other. And uh, it, it was it was a nice way to just engage donors and very friend raising. So yeah. we had this and I was there. I happened to sit at a table with this guy named Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy was a retired priest. Uh, he was a previous faculty member uh, at Loyola. Um, he was also uh, a business consultant and an author. And so he, he was really just a kind of go-getter and very intelligent guy. He had written a book, I think it came out back in the 80s at least, that integrated um, therapy uh, uh, philosophy um, into business strategy. And it really allowed him to become a successful business consultant. So he was actually international in his scope and did a lot of work with universities and organizations mm. in Europe uh, where he would go and, and do this, this cool consulting work based, basically on his book from the 80s that when I met him was in its 10th edition and wow. by college students across the country. So anyway, um, you know, he's uh, he was a sharp guy. And, and I was like, wow, OK, again, kind of like with Diana, you know, you just find like little hints about um, maybe resources that donors have that would qualify them as a major gift prospect and, and major gift donor. So Jimmy met those criteria. Well, you know, I, I, I sent him a thank you note, um, began developing this relationship. One afternoon, my supervisor came into my office and said, Bill, I need to talk to you about Jimmy. Um, he was a unique guy and, and really business savvy. And one of the ways that he applied his business savvy was to find charitable gift annuities that gave really aggressive returns on the. So, you know, there's there's kind of typical percentage that a donor will get um, once they give a lump sum to an organization uh, to establish an annuity. And sometimes organizations will increase the value that they'll return to donors if they really want to grow their CGA program. So uh, Loyola had done that a few years ago and Jimmy just stayed alive, you know, uh, receiving this annuity payment for a number of years. I, I think that he had originally given about a hundred thousand dollars, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago. And Loyola had um, ended up paying him about $120,000 over the course of the years. So when my supervisor came wow. to my office, she said, Bill, I kind of need to show you this. Um, is there any way you could go say hi to Jimmy and work with him toward the goal of evening this out? You know, <laughs> so I went, I was like, um, okay. And, uh, and so I called him up, um, I took him out to lunch and we talked and it was going well, everything was fine. He, he was having a good time. I kind of liked to wind and dined and, you know, I, I did that. And then I brought up uh, this annuity issue and uh, he was actually really upset. Uh, he expressed, you know, his disapproval. He was just angry. He became very animated. Um, he, uh, I think at some point he kind of pounded on the table. It wasn't like he was super angry, but, you know, he was not happy. And so yeah. I, I, I was like, okay, okay. You know, but what 
found out was he had actually felt neglected, in fact, uh, for some time. Um, he had not really been engaged as a volunteer at the level that um, he could have been engaged at. Um, you know, again, he's this multinational business consultant. Uh, he's a very smart guy, but he, he was also just a little kind of rough around the edges and yeah. uh, people didn't really know exactly how to work with him. So he had not felt stewarded, frankly, um, for a long time. So um, when I came in and told him that, you know, this organization had basically bungled his CGA, it was just sort of um, you know, pouring salt on the wound. And, yeah. um, and so anyway, I was like, I pulled back. I was like, okay, thank you so much. Um, I didn't engage about the CGA again for a while, but I stayed in touch with the guy and I'd send him little notes every now and then, you know, a report from the Institute of Pastoral Studies, stuff like that here and there, just to keep him engaged kind of in the way that I did with Diana. Yeah. And, um, anyway, we, we, we finally got together again. There was one particular visit. I, I took him um, to a location along the Chicago River, downtown Chicago, uh, really beautiful. Um, uh, happened to be a summer day. We met down um, uh, by the river at a place that online um, said it was a, a, a very quaint and comfortable location to enjoy an afternoon glass of wine. But we, yeah. and it was really unimpressive. You know, it was just kind of this glorified, like, liquor closet. It was not a good place. So, <laughs> this was the middle of the summer. It was hot. Uh, Jimmy had to meet me down there. Uh, he had mood then, too. We had to th – this is kind of involved, but we had to walk back up. We had to find um, uh, air-conditioned place. I, I did this frantic search on my outdated <laughs> – um, we found uh, the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Chicago – uh, went in there. It, it was air conditioned. It was very nice. And so you know, we, we, we found our table, um, sat down and, and it was, was kind of like, okay, maybe this will work. Well, we were talking, we got ourselves a glass of ice water. I got Jimmy a Chardonnay, <laughs> Chardonnay for this hot summer afternoon. And he was talking, talking, talking and getting again, kind of animated. He ends up knocking over his Chardonnay. Uh, just spills all over the table, you know, kind of comes onto, I think both of our laps and uh, you know, you do the immediate like, stand up. Whoa. You know, and, yeah. um, anyway, but that, that happened. We called over the server, got him another Chardonnay. I made sure Jimmy knew that, you know, everything's fine. No big deal. <laughs> um, got him another one. And uh, we just kept talking. Well, I guess um, long story short, after a number of visits, like, um, Jimmy donated uh, his downtown condominium uh, to Loyola. And um, wow. it was worth uh, $300,000. Um, there were, um, you, you know, there's always a risk when you receive a real estate gift uh, because you don't know if it's going to be just kind of junky property and it'll be impossible yeah. to resell and stuff like that. This happened to be beautiful. Is just located in a perfect place. He kept really good. He took really good care of it. Um, and so we turned around and sold the thing for cash, like within a matter of weeks. Wow. But to get there, I had to have, you know, his, his meeting at the gala. Uh, it was the original lunch where I told him about the, the CGA. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was this one visit that I totally bungled, picking the wrong place down by the river, um, <laughs> you know, spilling his Chardonnay. 
there were a few visits later. I mean, and, and actually getting the thing involved uh, the CFO of Loyola, the uh, controller. Um, we had to connect with a partner of Jimmy's that lived in Israel at the time and had wow. his signature on a document to have the gift signed over. Um, that had to be notarized in Israel. So, I mean, it was just like a really lengthy process, but ultimately resulted in this uh, six-figure gift that that helped even things out. Uh, wow. Was, again, a demonstration of uh, persistence and what I would call seeing the donor. You know, Jimmy just hadn't felt seen for a long time. And um, when I showed up, gave him time, listened to him, allowed him to be himself, uh, but then also sort of demonstrate the need that this organization had that he believed in, then, yeah. um, you know, it, it resulted in a very positive moment, uh, frankly, for both of us. Yeah, that's amazing. That's such a great story. Yeah, I love the uh, <clears throat> several things. But yeah, I mean, p- part of the part of the job is just kind of taking some of those blows for the team. Mm. If uh, if somebody's upset or feeling feeling hurt, sometimes you've got to be the one to uh, to receive that and uh, let them get it out of their system. And then awesome things like this can happen. That's so cool. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I, I think of it in theological terms. There's this idea of a symbol that's connected to maybe something. It's, it's something you touch, see, you taste it, um, that participates in something deeper than the thing that's right in front of you. Yeah. And that's a theological concept, but it's a good way to think about the role of a fundraiser. You have an individual identity. I'm Bill, you're Kevin, and you have whatever that makes you, you, but as a fundraiser, you represent this organization and, you know, you've got to be willing to, in many ways, get out of the way so that you can allow the mission of your organization really to be more prominent in your, yeah. with the donor than your personal self. Yeah. And that's, uh, I think where fundraisers can find more success because they're connecting the donor to this move they believe in and you, you don't necessarily um, have to be as passionate about that movement as the donor. Good fundraisers can work for a lot of different types of organizations that have a lot of different types of missions. Um, and as long as you as the fundraiser find the people who are super passionate about the thing that, that you're trying to fundraise for, then successful. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's a great point. And uh, another thing I'll comment on, so the experience, uh, you know, picking the the bad location for the visit and then moving over to the hotel. Yeah. This is one of many reasons that I recommend to people uh, to, whenever possible, not choose the location of the visit. Uh, I always try to have the benefactor choose the location. And there's a variety of reasons. One... Uh, it doesn't uh, – it, it just saying to them where would you like to meet uh, is generally speaking more respectful than come meet where, where I tell you to. Mm. And, but so, sometimes they tell you, you you pick the spot. But I, I never like picking the spot because 
sometimes you pick a a bad spot and then it's your fault and uh yeah. so there's <laughs> there's yeah. various reasons to go to go either way but yeah uh, well yeah. whatever <laughs> whatever the strategy in this instance i had not performed my due diligence yes yes a note to sell <laughs> you know make sure you really check the online photos go visit it right. if you can um, so yeah, I mean, uh, good point. Yeah. I, I always try whenever possible to, to only, if I'm picking the spot, only go somewhere that I've been before. Sure. Um, yeah. but sometimes these things happen, and, Yeah, uh, but yeah, right. that's, that's a great story. So do you know, is, is Jimmy still alive? I would imagine yeah. he's, he's quite old. If, uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> if he had um, a successful, uh, consulting business in the 80s he's oh yeah he's got to be getting up there right yeah no I, I think he is probably about 85 now um, okay but last i heard uh he's still very active in chicago i still again you know pre-coronavirus i would see him every now and then at various fundraisers related to yeah initiatives in the city and um yeah so he's still out there man he's he's really sharp and and that was one of the things that had become this obstacle that the organization had to get over, he was so sharp, he had negotiated the CGA that was yeah. actually not in the best interest of the nonprofit in the long term. <laughs> um, so, you know, we kind of had to work with that after the fact. Uh, but it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was quite an experience. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Any other stories you'd like to share, Bill? Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, I got lots. I mean, for me, if you're a fundraiser and, and you're really doing your job, you're going to be sending out letters. You're going to be sending out emails. I, I'll often tell my fundraisers, do the email inbox test. And if your inbox is filled with more emails from people inside your organization than it is with emails from people mm. inside your organization, then you have to ask yourself if you're reaching out enough. Yeah. If you are reaching out enough and not only sending emails, but, but actually calling people and trying to schedule visits, then you will have this ongoing collection of very memorable visits with some really fun people. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's just a lot to choose from because a, a fringe benefit of being a fundraiser, especially a face-to-face -face fundraiser, is that you get to meet all kinds of people. Yeah. And you meet the really wealthy people who just sort of fit the bill of what you would expect a really wealthy person to be. But you also get to meet, as we were talking about before, the teacher in middle America who just believes in something and uh, represents a life well lived. Um, and, yeah. and so, you know, those are some of my fun ones, too. I think of a, a couple of people um, who happen to be in uh, Ohio. Um, there was a really nice couple. I sat in their living room. Uh, they had given, again, I think they were close to the thousand dollars a year mark. Um, yeah. and we talked a little bit about, uh, Catholic extension, same kind of process. You know, I followed the whole, the whole process, as I mentioned before with Diana in landing the visit, but we sat in their living room. I think I was there about an hour. We talked about their kids and grandkids in their church and stuff they're involved in, in the city. Um, I talked about, Catholic extension. This was a Catholic extension visit and we finished. And usually at about an hour in my, I got this like internal clock. I'm like, okay, well it's probably time to wrap up. Yeah. Turns out they were actually 
testing me out during that entire hour. So we got to the conclusion and said, well, would you like a piece of pie? And I, uh, okay, sure. I mean, I kind of, when the donor asks you, if you want something, just go ahead and say yes. Yeah. 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 First of all, you get a free piece of pie. And second, <laughs> then you get to just kind of hang out more and you never know where it'll go. Well, this one didn't result in a, a major gift, but I, I continued to do the stewardship and the fun. So we were in the kitchen sitting at the, the dining room table and looking out the bay window um, and talking about their garden and, and, uh, and some things like that. We get, get to the pie. They heat it up in the microwave. They, uh, they put some vanilla ice cream on there. And then mm. I think it's the husband. He says, well, would you like, and I said, Oh, well, sure. <laughs> My philosophy say yes. So, uh, they, he, he gets up again. This is a somewhat elderly couple, grandparents and the ambles <laughs> over to the garage door, you know, from the kitchen goes in there. And you hear him fumbling around for a bit. He comes back. He's got a couple of cans of natural light. Yes. If you, if you look up light, <laughs> uh, in the urban dictionary, it says uh, an important part of every college kid's nourishing diet. So anyway, you know, it's just this cheap, hilarious beer, natty light. And, and in fact, yeah, no joke, it, there was like sawdust on top of the can. <laughs> That we had to like wash off, you know, to, to crack them open and enjoy the natty light with our apple pie and ice cream. So anyway, that was just really a kind of fun, memorable moment. And uh, again, they, they didn't give a major gift, but that was it was just a lot of fun. That is amazing. Wait, so so what what you said they were testing you. What do right. you think they were? What were they testing? <laughs> right. No, good question. I mean, um, you got different donors um, and some of them are, are really open with you uh, pretty quickly. Um, others, it requires a little bit of time to build trust and that that might be over a matter of months. Um, or in this instance, I think that the husband was really into the organization was kind of excited about our visit, wanted to hear about things, but the wife was just suspicious. Uh, she was like, well, what are you going to do? You're going to get here and, and ask us for money. Um, yeah. So she was kind of on the defensive the whole time and to help her, um, you know, let her guard down a little bit. And it was just, I wasn't like trying to do that necessarily. I was just, yeah. 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 And talking about the organization and being unassuming and being authentic. Um, and she just, begin to relax a little bit. And, yeah. Okay. Well, this guy's not trying to push anything on us. He's talking about the organization. You know, you're always talking a little bit about family and stuff like that. And, um, and then she was like, yeah, okay, well let's have, let's have some pie and see what happens. Yes. But they, they had it. The funny thing was they had it back there. Like, you know, <laughs> so I don't know, I guess she had made it beforehand. And if I passed the test, that was my reward. Oh, nice. Nice. Okay. I, I see. That's awesome. So this is, uh, old people love apple pie. This mm. is a, uh, this is a fact. Uh, <laughs> most people do, but, but your story reminds me of, there's a, there's a gentleman I've worked with for a few years and this guy, this guy is quite elderly mm. and, is this is a funny story because he is extraordinarily wealthy, like mm. really, 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 really rich. Mm. He told me the first time I met with him 
uh, how much he sold his first business for, and yeah. it was several hundred million dollars. And he owned a hundred percent of it. Uh, he he owned a hundred percent of the company, had no debt, sold it for several hundred million dollars, and continues to make boatloads of cash through that as well as some other like investments and businesses that have done really well. So this guy has has money. But he loves to meet at a cracker barrel. <laughs> and uh and so so he knows that I know how much money he has because he's told me. Yeah. <laughs> and, right. And we're at Cracker Barrel. So one morning we have breakfast at Cracker Barrel. Yep. And this lasts for a couple hours. He loves to talk. Um, and then once breakfast is over, uh, he has to get on a <laughs> he has to get on a phone call this this board meeting, and he was like, "Why don't you come out to my car so we can keep keep talking?" And I'm going to get on this this board meeting, and you can just listen in. Wow! <laughs> I was like, "Okay," and uh, and so we go into his car. I just sit there. We're in there for like an hour, and then. And then the call's over. And at this point, it's it's probably about 11 a.m. And he goes, well, how about we go get some pie? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, and then, totally. And then we, we head back into Cracker Barrel, and we each get a slice of apple pie with a scoop of vanilla ice cream, and we each get a Coke. And then here's the funny part. He goes, when we're finishing up, he goes, okay, I bought breakfast, so... You buy the pie, okay? And Perfect. I was like, okay. And it was, but it was, without going into all the detail, I knew was it, it was important to this guy that I actually pay for it and not expense it. Uh, so I, so I always carry cash with me, and so made sure to to pay cash for the pie and the mm. coke, just so he knew <laughs> this is Kevin's paying for this. Wow, uh, out of his own pocket, but. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure every fundraiser has their has their apple pie story. So. Mm, yeah, yeah. It, it's really funny you talk about Cracker Barrel because uh, <laughs> literally the true story. I went to Cincinnati on a donor trip, maybe three days, three or four days. I was there, and over the course of about twenty four, maybe thirty six hours, I was at the same Denny's three times. <laughs> With three different couples, or maybe there's one single guy in there, and then two other couples, and it. Was oh man! Dinner. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's the same type of deal. I mean, people. Interesting. Sometimes you, um, sometimes you will really try to be. You'll you'll practice good hospitality for the donor, whatever that might mean. Um, yeah. Father Jack Wall. I know Scott Maxwell talked about him. He's. He's a legend in Chicago. I mean, he's been around. He's been in ministry for 55 years, maybe, maybe not quite that long. But he, he, he celebrated his uh, 50th anniversary of his ordination a couple of years ago. But anyway, he's been in the Chicago area for a long time, has so many uh, very close friends uh, that he's developed over the years. People who just appreciate him as a leader in the Catholic Church and, and really respect him. Um, and he had. He had a place uh, where he would take, th this is the legend, where he would take uh, uh, Maggie Daly, um, the, uh, the, the wife of uh, Richard Daly, who was uh, mayor of Chicago. Mm. Uh, Father Jack would take Maggie Daly to a place 
at the uh, Ralph Lauren restaurant in downtown Chicago. Very nice. And they, they had their table. It was the Father Jack Maggie Daly table. And it was in this location wow. and in the place. And they knew when Father Jack Maggie would come in. And um, and so anyway, um, you know, you have donors like that. I mean, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to be nice. The, downtown Chicago, there's the Union League Club. It's just a mm-hmm. high profile place. But nine times out of 10, you're at a stinking Denny's, you know, yeah. barrel. you're meeting at the local breakfast joint. And, yep. um, and that's where you really develop the relationships uh, with people. Yeah. And that will be the bread and butter of your asks as a fundraiser, because most people are not super wealthy and you might have right. a good handful of people in your donor base who are, and you need to find them and begin the process yeah. of cultivating a relationship with them. But uh, the majority of your visits and the majority of your contacts will be with the regular people, um, and you'll you'll be at the Cracker Barrels and the the Denny's. Yeah, develop and and you'll be in their living room. You know, yes, and that's where you'll you'll really see uh, a good return on your investment. Yeah, so this is an interesting. Uh, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to start this podcast is to get people into major gift fundraising. That you know, like don't know anything about it, don't even know it's necessarily a career, or maybe they've got questions. This is one of the funnest things about fundraising is that you never know what any, you know, no two days are the same. Really. Mm. And one of the things that's very interesting is there's going to this idea of sometimes you're at the Ralph Lauren restaurant, downtown Chicago. Sometimes you're at McDonald's or Denny's. There are, there are days where I will wear like three different outfits in a day, mm. depending upon, cause I might, I might go from literally like, you know, uh, going to some sort of, uh, men's Bible study in the morning to then meeting somebody to play golf mm-hmm. and then meeting somebody, uh, meeting a lawyer downtown Dallas and then, you know, doing something else. And, and those are all like different, like you're not going to show up wearing a suit on the golf course. And you're not going to wear, <laughs> go to the lawyer's office downtown wearing your golf clothes or whatever. So it's it's just it's just always fun, and you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So any uh, well, I'll ask you an open ended question about any other stories you'd like to share. But before that, do you have any stories of visits where something just went horribly wrong? <laughs> well. Yeah. I mean, um, got a handful of those. <laughs> I guess one did not result in a major gift. The The donor uh, was a business owner. I, I think, again, this was in Ohio. Um, and he, he had plenty of resources to give. Um, this happened to be at Catholic Extension. Catholic Extension is, is very Catholic uh, in the sense that their Catholicism is right at the center of their identity as a nonprofit. They're serving yeah. poor people in the United States and through uh, dioceses that uh, meet a certain set of criteria. So they're considered mission dioceses and poverty is one of them. Um, so they're, they're serving these people in connection with their Catholic identity, but also they do a lot of ministries that just would, would be called social justice initiatives. And, they strike some donors as problem because they associate that particular type of ministry with a certain politics. 
that really is not the case, but, but they do. So anyway, this guy in Ohio, um, we just didn't really fit his bill. I went into, I met him at his office. We had, we had the time set up. Um, you know, I, I, I waited in his, uh, entryway, the, the administrative assistant, let me in sitting in his office. It's just kind of a wreck. Um, there's papers everywhere. He's obviously, um, got some, you know, anxiety about different things. And so it's just kind of awkward from the beginning, but he, he ultimately goes into this diatribe about all of the problems with Catholic extension and he mm. ends up dropping all kinds of words that I would not repeat in certain company and, and saying, yeah, me and the organization. And, uh, you know, he, he did everything, but like the, like pick up the eraser on his white, throw it at me. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, it was just, uh, it was uncomfortable and I, I did my part. I listened <sighs> I did a lot of head nodding, a lot of, Oh yeah. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Try to answer his question, but he he wasn't going to have it, you know. Yeah. You know, I just chalked that up to okay, whatever. And I, I reached out to him again. We had another visit; it was very similar, um, and he didn't do anything. So they were those donors that you just say water under the bridge. I got a visit or two in my metrics, yep. so my supervisor was happy <laughs> about that, and we did stewardship of the guy, but he was not going to give us a big gift. Um, yeah. So, you know, you, you have those every now and then, um, but they're complimented. If you're doing your job, they're complimented by the visits um, that do end up being good. I'll, I'll give you one more. Yeah. A really good guy. I'll call him Peter, an unassuming guy. Uh, this was also at, uh, at uh, Loyola University. And um, he'd been a volunteer. He was also previous faculty. Uh, he'd been on a couple of boards, um, single guy, never married, no kids, uh, yeah. w- taught in theology of all things. So he, he wasn't, you, you didn't associate him with a lot of money, but he was the kind of guy who was just like in the DNA of this place. Even after he retired, he'd regularly go to the library. He lived in the neighborhood. He owned like a three flat there, mm-hmm. just a block or two away. He always was coming to lectures. You know, he loved the place. And uh, so he was a part of my portfolio as a part of the Institute of Pastoral Studies. And um, same kind of deal uh, with Jimmy before and others. I reached out to him. Can I get you a cup of coffee? And yes, I mean, he, he loved it. We would get together. We, he, he enjoyed picking different breakfast joints in the city. And, and so I'd go and, and you're a better person than I. I, I would I'd put it on Loyola's bill. <laughs> but we would have some breakfast, you know. And uh, anyway, again, same thing, built some trust over a number of months. Turns out the guy um, had an IRA approaching seven figures and he didn't have any family or children that he wanted to give it to. So um, he wanted it all to go to Loyola. Wow. And I was the guy who was able to work with him to document that. Now that's a planned gift. So it's um, quantified in a slightly different way than an outright major gift or a pledge, inappropriately so. Yeah. But I was able to add that. I think it was valued at about $700,000 or so. We were able to add that as, as planned gift uh, fundraising progress uh, to our. Wow. And, and after that, after word kind of got out, you know, that the guy had an IRA of that size, he was treated quite differently um, on campus. 
And, uh, yeah. and I was really happy that he was able to, um, to, to have that, um, experience. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I, I love that story. And, and, and one of the things just, one of the things I love about all of the stories you've shared today, Bill, is just the, the level of relationship and just the, the, the length of time. And, you know, it's not just, it's not just roll in one day and here's a hundred thousand dollars. It's getting to know people. It's going to their restaurants. It's finding out why they're upset. It's leaving your coat behind in their closet and, uh, and just spending time with people and getting to know them. And without that, uh, you're never going to wind up closing big gifts because people are going to be giving their largest gifts to the Bill Myatts of the world who are taking the time to build the relationship, show them why their gift matters and letting them know that they matter. So I love those stories. I wish I could uh, stay longer, but I've got to get on a call right now. And so we might have to have you on for a, part two at some point in the future, but any final parting words you'd like to leave everybody with? No, thanks, Kevin. I, I think you're doing a great job. This is exactly the type of conversation that frontline fundraisers need to be having. And if, if you are doing these things, uh, sending out the emails, sending out the letters, getting visits, then the dollars will come. And it's just a matter of being gently persistent, building those relationships and, and sharing these really fun stories with your fellow fundraisers so we can make the world a better place. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thanks so much for being here, Bill, and look forward to talking to you soon. All right, all best. Thank you, Kevin. A lot of fun. That was Bill Myatt, the Director of Philanthropic Engagement at the Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago. If you found this episode valuable, please subscribe to the show and leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. I'm talking to you please leave a rating and review. It helps out a lot in getting the show out to more people. If you'd like to stay up to date on the show, you can like One Visit Away on Facebook or connect with me, Kevin Fitzpatrick, on LinkedIn. If you really want to help the show grow, please personally share this episode with other development professionals. I hope Bill's words have inspired you to schedule more visits. After all, you're just one visit away from being served some apple pie and a refreshing natural light or maybe meeting someone who winds up donating their condo to your organization.